Having done that a number of times though, now at this point, do you have any best practice in terms of structuring your teams at the very beginning of building a team in Asia versus further down the road, two, three years down the road when the, when the business took off? It's a really good question. At the beginning, I optimize for rather than thinking, oh, I, I need to have, we need to have this specific language and this specific experience. And I focus more on behavioral traits and uh, experience and just, and, and essentially getting the best possible talent. Mm -hmm. And um, so the, the initial group of, of hires, you know, focus on like personality the startup skills and also softer skills are kind of the, the three things that I'd look at and just people that are going to be um, are going to really help us sort of like build the foundation of the team. Welcome to the Asia Growth Forecast by HubSpot, a podcast where we dissect successful sales strategies of fast growing brands and show you how to grow your business in Asia. We talk with sales leaders from brands like Neom, Aspire, VMware, and Asana to uncover the secret sauce behind their sales motion and understand what it takes to win the hearts and minds of buyers in this region. I am Adarsh Norona. And I am Romka Volkoviak, and together we lead sales for HubSpot across Southeast Asia and India. We will be your host this season, and now let's get into today's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Asia Growth Forecast. Today, we are talking to Scott Pugh, who is the VP of Sales and General Manager for APAC at Figma. Figma, as most of you may know, is a collaborative design platform built in the browser, and it is transforming the way product engineering designs teams ideate, design, and develop digital products. Welcome, Scott. You and I go a little bit of a way back and it's really, really lovely to see you again and have you on our podcast today. Thanks, Romka. Absolute delight to be joining you. I'm a big fan of you and a big fan of, uh, of HubSpot and the business that you've built. It's incredible software and incredible team. Likewise, likewise. And today we are here to learn from you. So I'm really excited about our podcast episode today. You started your journey in the online media industry in the UK, and then you came to Asia. Not only that, you were also one of the very first regional employees for many international brands, and you helped them launch into Asia. Tell us a little bit more about your career journey and what what does your current role encompass? So yeah, as you said, I started my career in online media and uh, job boards in the UK and worked for and moved out to Hong Kong in 2009, where I, I worked for a publishing media house there and actually launched uh, a job board for them and uh, and managed a few of their, uh, their their media platforms. And I got the opportunity to join LinkedIn in, in 2012 as their, as their first employee in Hong Kong, which was an amazing experience and have subsequently had the opportunity to open up the Asia Pacific region for another couple of amazing software companies, a product analytics software company called Mixpanel. And more recently, I joined Figma about eight months ago now to scale their business out in the region here as well. So now it's been a, I've been extremely lucky to have worked for really incredible companies and, and I've had some great leaders along the time, along that time that I've learned a, a great deal from and been able to apply those learnings and scale some, some great companies. Many a time, first employee, not just the sales employee, number one for many companies, you're very entrepreneurial. I 
would challenge like uh, I think everyone in sales needs to have a certain entrepreneurial spirit, but I, I tend to be opening up new offices than have been like a true founder. So I, I wouldn't call myself a, a, an entrepreneur by any stretch of the imagination, but I really love taking incredible software and incredible products to new markets and and really understanding the sort of cultural nuances of those markets and being able to adapt the business and and be able to be build teams uh build teams from scratch is what I, re- I that kind of early phase where it's everyone is sort of all hands on deck and everyone's getting involved is where I thrive most and is the sort of the uh, that going through that ambiguity and uh, is is where I really kind of enjoy is the phase that I really enjoy. I kind of tend to lean into opportunities where it is that kind of like, you know, zero to 100, 150 people phase in an office. And uh, and yeah, that's that's where I thrive. Apart from your sales and leadership career, I've heard you're extremely passionate about endurance sports, uh, adventure racing, ultra marathons and whatnot. So in your uh, recent Southeast Asia trip, You delivered a keynote at a renowned conference in Indonesia, then took part in a couple of roundtable discussions and also snuck in a hundred mile race in Philippines. Now, before we get into the main show, I really want to ask you, how and when did you develop your passion for endurance sports? And has this kind of sports taught you anything that helps you perform better in your professional uh, career? Yeah, so you are right. I do like to push myself both in a professional capacity and then in a personal capacity. I've kind of got into ultra running and and, and adventure racing, as as you mentioned, and kind of balanced that through also having three kids. I mean, I'm like a family man and family are extremely important to me. And it's uh, quite challenging uh, juggling all three of those. I feel like I I do a fairly good job balancing uh, balancing them all. I think as to your question of how does that kind of influence your professional career? I mean, I think there can be lots of analogies taken from from sport in general but i think for for endurance sports there's there's a lot that that especially within startup world is just right. having the the tenacity uh, i mean there's so many points in long races where you just feel you just want to quit and actually pull out and you're you have this kind of negative speak of saying and turning that around and i think the same thing happens in business as well you always go through a bad month bad quarter and as, as a salesperson you come off a bad call and you just uh, but it's about keeping the positivity and just uh, and keeping the end goal in mind and just yeah moving on and just uh, and having that kind of being resilient and having that grit and, and determination to keep keep on keeping on i think most of our listeners romka myself we're resonating with what you just said truly an incredible journey I'm picking up from where we just spoke about you being the employee number one or for a lot of international brands having been able to launch the business specifically in Asia. I'm keen to hear from you. When you put into that position, where do you actually start? Like, what does your go-to-market team looks like? What kind of structuring and planning goes through? You also have to hire a sales team, right? Before you really get into executing that plan. Could you walk us through um, how you design the org structure, your sales team, your planning? And, And I'm also very keen to hear if this changes from because you've done it in multiple companies depending on the stage of growth and the pace of growth that they are experiencing do you have a alternate template or anything like that so very keen to hear from you it's a really good question and i wouldn't say that 
there is a in terms of the structure and and the pace and scale at which you scale the business and in terms of like hiring it's all very much dependent on the product market fit like the existing customer base the existing employees and the potential what's the tam like and what the um and which markets that you do have that product market fit in and in terms of how you structure it so there's no there isn't kind of a one size fits all for any business i think that for the for the last two companies that I've had the opportunity to work with, both incredible software companies, Mixpanel is a product analytics yep. company that has a really sort of broad scope in terms of the number of the type of customers that it can help. It's always had, from a startup perspective, from any any tech startup wanting to understand their user journey, they would implement a tool like Mixpanel to be able to to analyze their user journey, retention, and their acquisition, etc. When I joined Mixpanel, it had a really great customer base and a few large enterprise customers and what you would mm -hmm. call sort of like beachhead customers mm -hmm. that you would go. And so with that, it's about understanding what the current business is like, what like stack ranking all of the different markets that you are currently operating in and where's the kind of like low hanging fruit of growth also and and then sort of and doubling down on certain markets understanding the the nuances and the challenges around entering specific markets whether mm. it be the for i mean a mixed panel being a data company there were certain markets where you know such as china where actually without data residency you really can't enter there effectively so we found out we sort of trialed and learned very quickly that that wasn't going to be a market that we would nice. be able to scale in yeah. effectively so building a plan from that so understanding the data of what the current market is but what the potential growth is and i think for any organization they already they if you're opening up a new market they will always ha already have a structure and a go-to-market plan in place and it's around both adopting but slightly adapting that structure to fit the the opportunity I always say that like in North America, it's so it's so easy to slice and dice and structure the business in multitude of ways, mm. whether it be a new business to account management and your customer success. And then also almost you might, you might want to do East Coast, West Coast, like <laughs> in Central, or there might be enterprise, mid-market, SMB. And there's so many different ways that you can structure it and have multiple people within each one of those teams. Cool. But as you're scaling in a much broader region that... I, you know, it's difficult to call Asia Pacific a region because it's just so many different countries with so many different cultures, languages that say, for example, you want to start expanding in Indonesia, which for us is after Singapore is our second largest market in Southeast Asia at Figma. But it, we don't really have the scale now to have an enterprise AE, an enterprise AM, a mid-market AE, a mid-market, and to, to be able to have like six different people. So you kind of need to adapt the roles to where, so, you know, you might have to have certain hybrid roles for certain markets where it might be both mid-market and enterprise combined, or potentially it might be an account executive and account manager combined for certain yeah. markets. So you, you just need to be a lot more sort of flexible in your uh, approach. And that can be challenging for some organizations because they might know we want to have this structure and you need to fit the business into this structure. Mm. And I think uh, I, I've been lucky to work with some fantastic global sales leaders that give you the kind of autonomy and creativity to structure the business in the right way for, for our markets that we, that we operate in. That's fascinating. What I'm hearing is that uh, basically what we need to do is to, or the way you do it is to one size fits one. Um, having done that a, a number of times though, now at this point, 
Do you have any best practice in terms of structuring your teams at the very beginning of building a team in Asia versus further down the road, two, three years down the road when the, when the business took off? It's a really good question. At the beginning, I optimize for rather than thinking, oh, I, I need to have, we need to have this specific language and this specific experience. And I focus more on behavioral traits and uh, experience and just, and, and essentially getting the best possible talent. Mm -hmm. And um, so the, the initial group of, of hires, you know, focus on like personality the startup skills and also softer skills are kind of the, the three things that I'd look at and just people that are going to be um, are going to really help us sort of like build the foundation of the team. And then you loosely think, okay, we need to have people that can represent our customers in, in specific markets, either from a language perspective or from cultural or, um, or from understanding the local, the local market, having the connections within the local market. But generally the initial hires, I, I, I tend to just focus on just getting the best, the best possible talent in the market. As then you scale, then it, you start to see, okay, once you start loading on capacity, Capacity, then it's like, okay, now for this role, we definitely need to have a Bahasa speaker, Indonesia Bahasa, or we have to have, you know, like Indian ethnicity to focus on our Indian market, which is not all, you know, uh, you don't always have to have like the right ethnicity to, to sell into a certain market. But essentially what I'm saying, that once you start adding on to the core team is then when you're a little bit more focused around filling gaps of sort of language capabilities or, or market knowledge or network or whether it's enterprise or SMB and you, you start to sort of fill in the gaps later. But that core team is uh, it is just so important. I can't stress enough how those first few hires just dictate the sort of trajectory of where the business is going and the culture that you that you build within the organization. I think every sales leader who is listening to us is going to relate to that uh, very much. It's all in the hiring. It's who you're bringing on board. And this is how you then can measure how big you can dream with that team. So definitely, definitely agree with that. Can we dig into it a little bit more? I'm, I'm really interested in your perspective on what are some some principles that you use in terms of the, the hiring profile? Are there any specific attributes that you're looking for? They vary, but at uh, the stage of the business slightly. I mean, for and, and the, the stage of what and the type of organization you're in as well. So for, take Figma, for example, we're um, a thousand person scale up organization, phenomenal software technology that's a product led growth motion. And so typically you hiring people that have worked for much, much larger organizations is often a, a challenge because there's often a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of changes. Con there's constant change within a sort of start, like scale up size business. Um, and they need to be people that are able to, to operate within that sort of sphere of ambiguity. I think that you generally need people that have have like good startup skills. Um, and so I always think with that, that even when I'm hiring an individual contributor, like an A or an account manager, do they show the potential for leadership? Because essentially the core team that you built are going to be the future leaders of the organization. So do they demonstrate that they have that potential? Would you report to them? I always think like, is this someone that if I was a salesperson, like, would I want to report to them at some point and kind of reverse it slightly? Yeah. And I think, you know, just having that kind of 
they can work in an autonomous fa- uh, fashion, self-starter, yeah, and the sort of entrepreneurial mindset. So no, don't necessarily have to be an entrepreneur, but have that have that mindset. And obviously, you can ask questions around these, and we do. We sort of very clearly sort of define all of our. We use greenhouse as our applicant tracking system and for every interview we want to sort of cover a lot of these key points in the um in the interview process to ensure that those people the candidates you bring in on board demonstrate those um those sort of startup skills but yeah also being on sort of personality wise people that are that are humble i think often is the case in sales like no one wants to hire that top performing or like, as it just can talking about hiring the right people early. If you hire that wrong person, even though they've proved themselves at multiple organisations and have been a top biller, but if they're an then that is going to dictate the culture that you're going to scale from. And I've, you know, I've experienced it in the past, and uh, and it takes having to sort of go back from that once you've sort of started establishing a culture like that is really challenging. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't stress enough how important those first few um, few hires are. Bringing back to the point you made about hiring right, especially given that we all know, and it's not. Uh, rocket science that Asia Pacific is literally islands of culture within itself. Every country is different from uh, each other. I've had a chance to do the same for a couple of companies in India where we started off at a very early stage, didn't know the market. Somewhere when you hire people, you're also looking at people who have prior local experience as well, because it's kind of difficult to teach somebody who's not worked in a particular country uh, the way things work there. Uh, the cultural aspect of it and the nuances um, when it comes to India I can think of the way we negotiate uh, with our bu- the buyer seller dance that goes through there it's kind of hard to teach sometimes some of these attributes what's your thought process on that? yeah it's a very interesting one I, I'm I know that you've scaled some amazing companies in India with Oracle and uh, and Salesforce and uh, and Informatica so yeah I've uh, I think that higher people that have done it before because you know being a, a a british guy going in and trying to sell into the indian market it's i don't really have the kind of um yeah the, the new understand the nuances and everything around around how to to work in that market even though i've sort of scaled teams that have covered it so hiring people that sort of deeply understand that negotiation dance as you say um i mean it's quite interesting at figma we we have a transparent pricing model where we uh, we we don't discount and it's um and our price is uh, the same for every other um for for every company which i think is actually great because you know we host a lot of events and we've got big communities and when they meet up they're able to speak to each other and they're all going to be paying exactly the same for figma as the as the next company uh, but you know it does make it a little bit more challenging in india where you don't have as many levers to go into that dance or any, as many moves to go into that dance <laughs> with um but yeah i'm i'm very bullish about the india market i mean i believe that it's going to be um one of the i think it's going to be like the yeah i mean fastest growing software market globally i think there's going to be a lot more companies that are born out of india that get sort of like a become huge international conglomerates and you know we're, we're making our way there with com- companies like Zoho and um, uh, yeah I mean you've got like Browser Stack you've got Freshworks there's some incredible companies coming out of India I think there's a lot more to come as well starting to hire teams I mean we've at Figma and we did at Mixpanel we've hired a hub in Singapore mm-hmm. and as we start to scale we'll we will um, we'll have spoke offices or local offices in, in certain strategic markets where, where we need to support our company, uh, customers there. Speaking about building and scaling 
teams. Romka at this moment is in the middle of building probably our best sales team uh, for Southeast Asia. Uh, Romka, I'm, I'm curious to hear from your experience some of the principles that you have taken now that we have heard from Scott. Yeah, I think there is a lot of those elements, uh, Scott, that you mentioned that are that really, really are relevant all across, right at the very beginning when you're hiring, but also later later on as well. Because you do, when you, when you want to grow, regardless if you are at the beginning again of, of the journey or later, you need those trailblazers. Tra- you need people who dream big, who are hungry, who are driven to be successful, who have a little bit of that entrepreneurial mindset and attitude as well, who want to contribute, who are creative, and they find joy in, in doing that. Um, and that coupled together with what you mentioned around humility and especially having that, that intellectual humility and coachability these are the two super important attributes that um that i'm really that i'm always really looking forward to see in in candidates and when you have those things together plus grit you can't go wrong i 100% agree romka i think that intellectual curiosity is uh, is extremely important and one of our culture and values at figma is is grow as you go uh, and really for us, that's about every day is a new opportunity to learn together. Mm-hmm. You twin that with grit and determination and, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for, for, for the talent. So here we are. You kind of hired, well, you, let's say you hired a rock star team. What's more also important is how do you set them up for success? Now, that brings us to onboarding them well. So once you've built a team like this, and you also mentioned you're in the process with Figma, you're in that journey. Tell us more about the onboarding process, what it looks like in Figma, and what have you learned from your previous experiences? I think first and foremost, in the hiring process, it's about finding talent that have that growth mindset, intellectual curiosity. You know that they are going to invest in learning and upskilling and onboarding themselves as quickly as possible and, and take ownership with that and and be autonomous. I'm pretty upfront and pragmatic around when we are a team is like, it's on you to sort of to to find an answer first before mm-hmm. before answering, like seek to understand first. Um, and I think we're very lucky in Figma. We've we invested early as an organization. I think we, we had our sales enablement a lead for international was in, in Singapore just recently. And she was hired when we only had 10 salespeople. So we very early invested in an enablement team and we've subsequently scaled that team. And we have around a, a team of around 12 to 15 of in sales in mm-hmm. APAC already. And we've already invested in, in an enablement person to support us in the APAC region already. So hiring someone in enablement to, to be able to set up the onboarding and to be able to have ongoing enablement for the team that's not just around the uh, product training, which is critical, but also around sales skills and and also things like developing future leaders as well. So there's a lot that sort of goes into to enablement and it kind of crosses over with um, with our HR and learning development team as well. But um, but yeah, I, I think in investing in sales enablement early, we, we I mean, using technology, having, we, we use WorkRamp to be able to like, essentially like build out all of the learning modules Sure. So that come, uh, th- so that people can do it in a self-paced way. Yeah. Having said that, I'm a 
everyone learns in different ways so some people can listen to content some people need to interact some people uh, actually need to watch people doing things some people need to do to be able to learn so um, we also have just started this year bringing everyone together for an onboarding as well after they do their initial learning through our self-paced then we will have like an in-person learning where they'll be able to put into action a lot of which they have learned on their own and and it's a process that's evolving because i remember good old days onboarding would be your first two weeks come in listen to those classes see those presentations and then boom you're out there in the market i think that's changed now for example in in upspot what most of our reps love it is the long ramping period that we give them and the onboarding doesn't stop after the first 15 days or 20 days it's an evolving process it's a very nicely structured to the kind of quotas you're changing the kind of understanding you have on the product the the credibility that comes in eventually when you communicate to the customers you can see that change over a long period of time and that builds a long sustainable system and that the chain is so strong for a long period of time isn't it before we move on to the next segment here is a quick word from upspot is your software bill out of control you're not the only one considering a breakup with your tech stack right now let me introduce you to hubspot crm it's the best platform to speed up your sales and scale your business without blowing your budget hubspot's powerful crm helps you to automate tedious tasks keep track of all your deals in one place and make sure your whole team has access to the same data best of all you can try before you buy no commitment, no hidden fees, not even a credit card is needed to sign up. Learn more at hubspot.com. I think that brings me now to to another another question that has uh, I've had in my mind ever since really from the beginning of this podcast when you mentioned ways you hire and you mentioned culture and setting up a new team is that that's tough and it's very fast paced and there are many tangible aspects of uh, of it you know KPIs processes um, etc. But then there is the culture that's a little bit less tangible. So when you're growing fast as well, it's very easy to skip over it and to deprioritize it. However, at the end of the day, it will it will catch up with you, right? So how do you foster uh, that kind of positive uh, working culture that you want to see in your team as well in that remote kind of working environment? I mean, remote-wise, at Mixpanel, we were um, we were quite lucky that we'd hired the majority of the team before everyone went into kind of lockdowns and working remotely, and so we'd already established the culture. But I'm a big fan of getting people to the office, like building building culture when and building trust and and collaboration, like true sort of like collaboration. I think needs to be done in in, in person uh, and then can be taken into a um, a hybrid world. But uh, I believe getting people in like in the office and together is critical to to building culture. Uh, I think as it pertains to the hiring. I, I think deeply well, like as, as part of when I, I I meet everyone that we hire in person, like although we do a lot of our interviewing via Zoom, we will I, I make sure that at least one of the interviews is in, per, is in person because, yeah, there's just so much that you just don't pick up from a, a Zoom call and uh, and that sort of body language that you just don't pick up on. And you, mm-hmm. uh, you, it's hard to get to truly know someone. So that that's part of it. And, and also understanding how people have contributed to the culture of their prior organizations like what have they done and it's very quick and easy to find out whether they were an additive 
to the culture or whether they were just a taker of it and and you can really dig deep and and to find out what um what type of contribution they made so so that's part of it um i think also making sure that they understand the culture and values of your organization and that they've researched i i always like to you know have you had a chance to research our cultural values which ones really do you feel stand out to you and um and then also tell me about the cultural values of your prior organization and which what what did they mean to you and which ones stood out and then you get to realize whether they're people that find these this important and whether they're people that really did go ahead and adopt it they're, they're going to be a right fit f- for yours um and then once they're in the organization it's all very well having your culture and values but making sure that people really deeply start to understand them and, and operate by them uh we just actually had a process just two weeks ago um where we got an external trainer to come in and actually ran through a process of us building our purpose mm. for our Asia Pacific team. So building what we want as our kind of mission statement but or, or vision statement. It's kind of a combination of the two as your purpose. And then taking our culture and values and actually defining our own behavioral statement for each one of those. So everyone gets a certain degree of ownership of those. We actually just had our all hands for APAC today where we kind of presented, I presented them back. Hey, here's what you decided upon. And then what we'll do is we'll, to operationalize it, we will recognize people based on our culture and values at every quarter. We will also, yeah, we'll find other sort of creative ways to sort of sew those into our to our operational rigor and make sure people that are adhering to them on a daily basis, but using them to be able to guide their decision making and their activity on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So speaking about culture, I think it's very important to get that feel of a togetherness, a feel of family. And I think sometimes when the teams have hardships, when the going gets tougher in the market, you're creating a new market and suddenly you feel like this small little army in itself. And then couple that with something we call in spot solving for the customer. When that becomes your first principle, then it's an amazing combination. And I think we've been lucky to have seen some of these teams who solve for the customers at all times, be always ethical and do the right things share with each other, build the knowledge and eventually build the team into a position where you can have just repeatable success. And it's just a process after that. Yeah, I I think for us, uh, building that initial, that purpose, the collective of what we're driving towards as a team in APAC. And for us that we defined just recently, just the other week is about inspiring all APAC brands to love designing and building every digital experience with Figma. And uh, and really that's for us, we're still at a stage of growth in, in Asia Pacific. So whilst we've got a phenomenal customer base already, we're still at the point where we need to get every company using Figma. Um, but also we need to get them like doing everything on Figma and building every one of their digital experience. And we want them to absolutely love, not just using our product, but love interacting with our with our team as well. So, and once you once you sort of define something like that, that's slightly bigger than the individual, then they know what they're work, kind of working towards. So it's like, okay, I'm really happy if one of the other team just closed a big deal, even though they've just overtaken me on the leaderboard, we've now, closer to our purpose of getting every brand in a, in APAC sort of uh, um, so designing and building with Figma. So yeah, I think defining that, that, that purpose. And then 
yeah, I also believe that I, I get what you say around sort of building a family. I think you have to be kind of careful about using the word family within organizations because especially over the last sort of uh, over the last six six to 12 months, you know, a lot of tech companies have had to make a reduction in force. And the reality is you don't sack a family member, do you really? Or you don't you don't let a family member go as much as you might want to. The idea of like the, the sort of analogy of family, I don't think is, is quite yeah. on point. But I still believe that you need to sort of build a, uh, there's so many external factors which are which can be a challenge to both you and your business that you shouldn't be creating a competition internally. You should focus externally on the competition. And that kind of like pulls teams together. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some like great analogies to that when, um, you know, you think like Michael Jordan, he used to sort of, he used to sort of make up that one of the sort of the, his competitors said something about him and the team and criticize them or some way when they hadn't said it, but it would just make an enemy of the competition. So it just rallies everyone around an external factor that they can pull together. And I've done it in previous companies. Like I used to, my, my kind of um, the, like nemesis that was at the other part of the business. I used to, put them in a bubble that they were like uh, just a, as a really sort of negative and just like and rally the team around right we're going to beat them or we're going to take them down and so I think focusing on that external uh, factor and and enables the team to sort of come together. When you set a vision like this and then you you know that you are all together on the other side of the fence there are a lot of natural attributes that come out from various personalities within the team you'll notice some of them are pretty strong product-wise, tech-wise, they want to contribute more on that side. Some of them are brilliant in closing uh, a deal quickly, or some of them are brilliant in closing enterprise-class deals. So when everybody goes beyond their nine-to-five and showcases their true self, the completeness uh, comes into the team, then you have amigos in the team itself. And that mm -hmm. takes to another level. And I think that's where we've we've really managed to do well in some of the teams in upspot as well people take up these new roles that you did not know before that they were capable yeah. of yeah and i think that that is our role as leaders is identifying those people that have that knowledge to be able to share and giving them the platform to be able to share it and giving them yeah. the sort of the audience and the time and the uh, uh, to be able to either be buddies, to lead meetings, to be able to join all hands and to be able to present yeah. back, to be able to go through um, their deal reviews and present how they've um, how they've closed a deal. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, our, it's our job to identify that. It's rarely ever anybody really wants to work on their own without anybody else involved you know, no collaboration, um, et cetera. That rarely ever happens. And anyway, in sales, sales is a team sport. So you do want sellers who are, who, who crave for that connection. And it's important for us as well as leaders to recognize that fact and be able to find that one thing to rally people around and build that, build that community. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a great believer in that. In fact, one of the culture and values at, uh, at Figma is about building community and giving people the opportunity to be able to do that. I do. I, I would also challenge that slightly in terms of you. I've some of the best salespeople that I've had in my team have been lone wolves. I mean, for those that have read the challenger sale, there's mm -hmm. kind of like five different personality types in sales. Yeah. And, you know, the challenger is often the most uh, effective, but, but actually you can have lone wolves that are incre in incredibly successful. And actually it's okay to have 
one of those maybe in your team, but then you need to know how to actually bring them in and make sure that, that as I mentioned before, they're still additive to the culture rather than taking things away. I have uh, one more big question for you today. As a sales leader, um, to a sales leader, I really can't miss uh, asking that one. Forecast. <laughs> I'm sure you love forecasting. <laughs> so <laughs> what is your forecast for how sales in Asia will evolve over the next five or 10 years? And what is the number one thing that you think is going to change the most? Oh, wow. I thought you were going to ask me what my Q2 forecast was going to be. I was like, oh, dear, please don't. I saw your hands go up. Yeah, it's, I think it's rough out there at the moment, isn't it? Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, so, so what do I see as a forecast for sales in the Asia-Pacific region? How is it going to change over the next uh, next three to five years, were you saying? Five to ten. Um, Can be three to five, five to it's ten, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I, I hopefully will have retired by that 10 years is up. <laughs> um, I hope for all um, of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it goes without saying that that AI is going to have a big impact mm -hmm. with how uh, how salespeople do their jobs, and yeah. uh, I mean, ChatGPT is already having an impact on how how people communicate and uh, and the type of emails and communications they send. I think there's going to become a lot more automation in the way that we. we you know, even even at Figma, we've got incredible processes in place, but they could all be hugely improved in how both we sort of um, we we capture information, but also how we like process uh, um, our yeah the the general the process of like of going through a deal cycle could be vastly improved, um, and the efficiency could be improved. So I think there's a lot around the the sales tooling, and I think like HubSpot are going to be at the forefront of that around uh, around that sort of sales automation. Um, piece. I also think that the, but I think the art of sales is, is not going to go. I think that the it's it's going to mean we're going to have to even more over index on on that human connection and personality. I, I think you mentioned before, Addy, that uh, that sales is a team sport. It might have been you, Romka. I'm a great believer in like we're all in sales. Everyone throughout the organization is focused on the customer, and that needs to be focused on on bringing value to the customer and effectively, you know, and it needs to be a sort of mutual partnership. Now, I also believe that the thing about like clarity and deeply understanding our customers is only really done when you build a true sort of like great relationship. And um, and I'll give you an example. Like we uh, we just launched a business in APAC. We have for Figma and we've previously been managing it out of North America. The team there have done a, a great job. But when you're on completely different time zones and and really sort of like it's, it's difficult to sort of be there where the customer is consistently and certainly to be able to go and meet them face to face, that wasn't happening whatsoever. And just for us, we were in Indonesia the other week in Jakarta and just being able to go and meet customers face to face, they were able to share much more around the business problems that their company was facing and that them as individual were facing. They're much more open and willing to share, you know, touring us around the offices and just being, and you're just able to connect on a much deeper level. If you are a sales leader in this region and you're building a team, or if you are the employee number one, like Scott has been uh, so many occasions before, I think this podcast is literally going to be the Bible of some of the things you should be doing. And just to wrap up what we spoke, we 
really, really went deeper into the structure of the go-to-market plan, the flexibility that's needed, resonating with what various markets in Asia demand, and to be able to have that kind of a mold uh, for future growth. That's one thing we really, really went deeper. We spoke about hiring and hiring the right team, the nuances of hiring, especially the early team, and how that becomes a talent pool for future growth as well in ours. We also spoke about once you hire, how do you set them up for success, the onboarding piece of it. And I think there were so many principles that Scott, you gave us. So really, really amazing Um and those measures will be, I think, uh, to be followed uh, by everybody, not just a SaaS leader, I would suggest. And then we spoke about training and enablement and nurturing everyone during this hybrid model and harnessing culture eventually, aligning the team to a vision and making sure everybody knows the bigger picture. But also, as leaders, being conscious of the kind of reps you have, the managers you have, and letting their passion come out. And it's okay to have all kinds of people and with whatever motivation that that drives each one of them. It could be different, but collectively to drive that to team's growth is amazing. And lastly, love the forecast. And um, I wanted to quickly take in moment to thank you, Scott, for joining us and sharing these insights. I want to wish you and your team at Figma continued success uh, on your journey and on your mission of making design accessible to everyone. Me and Ramka, I'm sure, will loved the conversation. Awesome. Thanks, Adi. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have been on. And uh, and yeah, hope to meet you two in, in person again soon. Actually, it's been a while. So uh, very awesome. much appreciate yeah, the invitation. Absolutely. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into UpSpot's Asia Growth Forecast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you are listening to this show. Ah, one more thing. If you found the discussion valuable, share it with at least one more person who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode and we will see you real soon.